And that's page uh, 1,143 of uh, your green Bibles. And we're beginning a kind of vision series that's going to take us through September. Um, so we start this evening in Get Connected, and it's really part one of a sort of two-part series that Tim will press into again next week with um, Get Involved, then we'll have Get Giving, and then we'll have Get Out. And our heart with this is just to say to us as church that we really, really believe that getting deeply involved in this church community is the best thing for us. Actually, it's for our flourishing and it's for the world outside that we sort of inhabit Monday to Saturday before we come into this church building. So let's read these verses together at page 100, uh, sorry, 1,000 even, um, 143, Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us, uh, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that text is going to be our kind of bedrock over uh, this series in September, that we want to be a people that meet well together. And I was just um, thinking about a conversation I had with a friend um, a number of years ago. And she just sort of moved into the city and her life was about to take a kind of new ribbon. And she'd been a really stable Christian for years and years and years, super involved in church, super involved in um, the CU. We were at a uh, university together. And she just said to me, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to commit to the local church just for now. Actually, I think I'm just going to take a bit of time, me and God, spend my time on Sundays worshipping him through worship music, listening to a podcast or two, praying. And initially I thought, you know what? That sounds kind of freeing and busy London life. But actually, as I reflected on it, something really jarred. I was like, something doesn't feel quite right there. There's a sort of loneliness and a poverty to it. Actually, the I had overcome the we. The I had overcome the we. And when we turn to scripture and when we reflect on how God has made us, we realize it's fundamentally for community. It's fundamentally for the we. And this begins um, right in Genesis um, chapter one. In Genesis chapter one, we see a glimpse of God, the triune God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God in full loving relationship. God whose very character is person, is relationship, is love. And then somehow the Godhead opens out and says, I'm gonna create a world. I'm gonna create a people. I'm gonna create them in my image. So God creates Pam. God creates Will. Says you're in my image. But as you are in my image, so you're going to need each other. You're made for relationship. Just be as I am, God, the free and one, inherently relational. Relationship is for your flourishing. Community is for your flourishing. And um, theologians in recent years have really been trying to kind of grapple with this. And there's a great um, Greek Orthodox guy called John Zuzulias. And he's written this brilliant book, if you can get hold of it, called Being in Communion, Being in Communion. And he just wrestles with the fact that God is utterly, utterly personal. And there's something in the mystery of the Trinity that calls us into personhood and says, just as you are made in the image of me, 
the triune God. So you are most yourself, you're most a person when you're with another. So actually, I'm most Lydia when I'm hanging out with Tim or when I'm hanging out with Lauren. We're most ourselves, we reflect God, the image of God. We're most who we were made to be when we are with other people. God is the eternal we, not the eternal I. And as we approach scripture, we suddenly see that God got hold of this and he created something that allows us to be we. Because in Genesis 3, as we read it, we see that the fall comes in, we see that sin enters in. And the reality of sin, the reality of the fall, is always threefold. It's a disconnection between us and God. It's a disconnection between us and each other. And it's a disconnection between us and the created order. Everything that we see in this world that has gone wrong, from the microcosm to the macrocosm, somehow falls into the one of those three categories. And so God sets about with his redemptive purpose. And he says, I'm going to call them back into relationship. I'm going to give them something that means they can run this race well. That means that my image in them will be restored. And it's the church. You know, Jesus turns to Peter and says, on this rock, Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then as you journey through the New Testament... The church is just all over it. You can't escape it, can you? Um, Luke writes in Acts all about um, Acts 42, uh, sorry, Acts 2, 42 to 47, all about the early church and how as they met together and they worshipped and they shared communion, they shared fellowship, hundreds were added to their number daily. The church blew open. The risen Christ was exalted. Paul constantly speaks of the church, the body of Christ. You can't escape the reality of the church in scripture. John Wesley uh, puts it like this. He just says, the Bible knows nothing of solo Christianity. The Bible knows nothing of solo Christianity. There's absolutely nothing in the word of God or the way he made us that says we can go this alone. He says, actually, we need to turn to our neighbor. We need to get hold of them and say, actually, let's run this race together. I need you. I need you. And that's where we um, jump into our text. So if we just rehearse Hebrews 10, because it's only a short little section, 23 to 25 again. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And the writer to the Hebrews, we're not sure exactly who it was. Um, there's been lots of suggestions over the course of history. Some people think it was a woman. I think that would be great if it turned out to be true. Don't think we're going to know this side of um, eternity. But what we do know is that Hebrews is written to a group of first century Christians. And they've been running the race for God. And they've been doing it really, really well. But stuff has got incredibly hard. And they're kind of on their knees, and they're sort of ready to give up. It's probably a sort of Jewish background, and lots of them are thinking, maybe I'll just go back into Judaism. Maybe I'll just renounce Christ, let this go, this is too hard. And so the writer writes this letter to this community to say, keep going, endure, keep going, endure. And there's all sorts of stuff thrown out, all sorts of doctrinal stuff. It's a really, really rich letter. 
But at the heart of it is chapter 10, saying the way you do this is by meeting together. Meeting together. That's how you spur each other on. Actually, if you do this thing in relationship, you won't fall away. And then chapter 11 goes on to list all the heroes of the faith. Great people. It's one of my favorite chapters in scripture. And then chapter 12 enters in, depicting the great cloud of witnesses. It says, let us hold unswervingly to this hope and run this race because there's this great cloud of witnesses, the church through all of history, cheering you on and saying, actually, my brothers and sisters, keep running, keep running, keep running. I'm with you. I'm with you. Glorious vision of the church rooted in all of history. Eternal church. Um, C.S. Lewis depicts that reality really, really well in a book called The uh, Screwtape Letters, if you've ever read it. And the Screwtape Letters are a sort of senior demon called Screwtape writing to his apprentice, um, Wormwood. And so it's very, very poignant, very perceptive. And Screwtape writes to Wormwood, the church as we see her spread out through all of time and space and rooted in history. This is a terrible, terrible thing as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle that makes our boldest tempters quake. Makes our boldest tempters quake. Actually, the church rooted through all of eternity, that we as this kind of smallish community in 2017 and Parsons Green are part of is the most glorious spectacle. We're part of something deep. And so we get connected into St. D's. We give up our time because we're part of something bigger. Actually, one day we're going to be caught up in the whole company of heaven. Revelation 7 depicts it beautifully. It just says we're going to be caught up caught up singing forever the eternal praise of God holy 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 Christopher West in his book that's what he's getting at that we're coming we're moving towards something bigger there's something so much bigger than ourselves going on and as we choose sacrificially to get connected with our local church so we flourish we grow and so we impact the world outside of these four walls Bill Hybels puts it this way. He just says, actually, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And the local church, we can feel a bit scruffy and a bit disorganized. I feel that a lot of the time, especially when I walk into our office, which is, you know, interesting but lovely. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but actually, we doing this. The 8.30 congregation this morning, the 10.30 congregation, us as a body in Parsons Green. We're the hope of the world. Because we can get really, really practical. We're utterly, utterly different in a way to, you know, um, a group that meets in the pub or Good Gym, who are wonderful. Lots of my friends are part of that, and they kind of jog, and then they do good things, I think, and paint stuff and laugh. I'm not really sure what they do. Anyway, um, we're utterly, utterly different because that shows us a glimpse of who we are and our need for community and our desire for other people. But we know, we know why we meet together. We know that there's something eternal going on. We have an identity and a purpose through Christ. We're rooted in all of history and God's eternal purpose. 
and we're filled with the power of the Spirit as we come and worship together that orientates us outwards so that we can get hold of God's justice and mercy and peace and run into a broken world and proclaim the goodness and glory of God. We offer something so utterly radically different to anything else that can be found on this earth because we're part of something that in the cross stood over that fall of Genesis 3 and said, no more, it's finished. There's a perfect way. Let's do this stuff. So what do, where do we start going practically? Um, Grenfell. Wasn't Grenfell a great example of the local church being the hope of the world? Actually, suddenly, everyone woke up and went, oh, the church is actually quite useful. Gosh, they're flinging open their doors. They've just been really practically helpful. Great that Harry and Lydia from here just headed up there, and I think a few other people, and... You know, just got involved, fed people, gave clothes, loved people, prayed for people. Isn't it amazing that our bishop was spearheading that? That he was the one in Downing Street saying to the Queen, saying to uh, Theresa May, you know, you need to do this stuff. Hope of the world. And because we have this identity, because we know who we are, we can speak to our culture. Actually, there's something deeply, deeply prophetic about us gathering together, about us getting active. You know, everything isn't dreadful about eye culture. You know, I quite like my iPhone. Um, But the underlying thing doesn't really work. There's an epidemic of loneliness, isn't there, in our culture. And that's not just uh, sort of old people who are lonely. Actually, there's an epidemic of loneliness in young people. The rates of self-harm and confusion and depression are just skyrocketing and it's because people are lonely and it's because eye culture fundamentally doesn't work. The reason that people say it's lonely at the top is because it is lonely at the top because suddenly it's just I, not we. And we can't do it alone. The reason that the worst punishment that is given to inmates in prison is solitary confinement. It's because just being I is terrible. It's terrible and it's painful. And so we can prophetically speak to this culture and we can welcome them into something, something clearer and better. We have a better story, a much, much better story, one of hope and resurrection and courage and determination and certainty in the face of trial. We get hold of that as we come together, as we get connected in the body that is the church, the body of Christ. We just want to take a moment this evening as well, as just sort of um, wrestling with this over the course of the weekend, thinking about uh, my friend, the story I shared at the beginning. Uh, want to say that she is now properly back in church and actually married to a vicar. So, you know, things have turned around somewhat. <laughs> but, you know, what, what, was, what was happening there? Actually, she was really, really burnt out. And as much as the church is beautiful and wonderful and Christ-ordained and the hope of the world, and I believe in it before anything else, also, it's, it's full of us and we're people and we're a bit messy. And I'm pretty messy and Tim's pretty messy. Um, and sometimes we get it wrong. So we just want to really say that to you guys. You know, if we get it wrong sometimes, if we don't manage to ping that email back or you don't feel heard, just come and tell us. We don't want people to get disillusioned with the church. Actually, we're as human and as fallen as the next person, as much as we are redeemed in Christ. Mm. 
And if you ever just kind of feel, I think Tim will um, speak to this a little bit more next week, if you ever feel that you're just like a name on a rotor, that you're not really known, please come and tell myself or Tim or Georgia that. Um, we want to welcome you in. We really want to know you. We need to be utterly different to the world. We need to say, actually, this is out of love and conviction. This is out of a loving our neighbor as ourselves. This isn't like some sort of program to roll out. Never want people to feel used or burnt out in this place. Actually, this is a place of joy and love and affirmation. So if it doesn't feel like that to you for any reason, do come and chat to us. And now, just to get a little bit practical, how? How on earth do you get connected at St. Dee's, whether you've been here for four years, ten years, or two months like me, or two days? Um, life groups. So our main way of um, getting together, of really getting connected, other than Sundays, is life groups. And life groups are a small group system, and they meet mainly on a Tuesday, but some meet on a Wednesday. And I think we're going to hear a little bit more about them next week, aren't we? And there'll be some sort of visuals around church and things. Um, we do need more life group leaders if we're going to have more life groups. So if you know someone who you think, you know what, they'd be great at that then do come and chat to me, do come and chat to Tim. We want to champion life groups and get them um, going. Men's and women's ministry. Um, Joe Coleman and some other people. Is anybody else on the leadership team in the men's ministry other than Joe? Lots of people. Joe and many people <laughs> are leading um, the men's ministry. And there's going to be curry nights and breakfasts and all those sorts of things. And the dates will become very clear during our notices and on the website. So get involved in men's ministry. We've really been exhorting, uh, well, I was anyway, the 10.30 and the 8.30 even, you know, for them to come along to our men's and women's ministry. Um, the women's ministry is getting a bit of a revamp under the wonderful leadership of Laura Hicks and Georgia Pearson, wherever Georgia is. Um, and again, curry, not muesli. I hate muesli. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, that's my bugbear. Um, we're going to have curry nights. Um, we're going to have lots of teaching too, and there's going to be some brunches where there might be muesli, but I'll be having bacon. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, newcomers. Uh, we're going to have a newcomers evening um, on the 12th of October, and Joe and Lucy are going to host that. So if you're new here and you just want to know a little bit more about who we are, do come along to that. Again, that will come up in the notices over coming weeks. And out of that, Joe and um, Tim are going to lead a life group, so that will be a way to connect in more deeply. General hospitality, just the natural stuff. Can I encourage us to do that? Actually inviting each other out for a drink looking to the person we don't really know and just introducing ourselves. Pete Gregg, um, <laughs> George is like loving that at the back. Um, Pete Gregg, um, Facebooked, not tweeted, because this is far too long for a tweet. He Facebooked something earlier this week, and he just said this, which I think is really challenging. Biblical hospitality starts in the heart and not the IKEA catalog. It is sacrificial and thoughtful, familial and flexible, patient and consistent, humble and imaginative, it allows for interruption, goes the second mile, and it gives space. Isn't that a glorious depiction of what hospitality is really about? What we're really about at a practical level of, as church. We know and believe this stuff, that Christ died for us, that we're this body of the church, then we can really put ourselves out, can't we? We can be biblically hospitable, just looking to the other, asking people, um, in our busy lives, just to spend some time to hang out, how they're doing, going for a drink, etc. Um, 
We have an afternoon tea thing. I have a little flyer. There's these flyers on the welcome desk at the back. And that generally gets our 8.30 um, congregation. But it will be glorious if you happen to be free. I know this isn't everybody, but if some people, if you happen to be free at 3 o'clock on the third Thursday of the uh, month, It'd be wonderful to see you there. Those guys are just lovely, and the congregation is beautiful that comes together at the back and just has some tea and cake. Great way to get to know some people who are older from a different um, service. So do think about coming to afternoon tea, third Thursdays of the month. Um, WhatsApp. Don't you love Lauren's sports WhatsApp group if you're on it? That's for women. It's a great WhatsApp group. Um, if you're not on it, grab Lauren. Do you want to give us a wave? Lauren here, grab Lauren if you're a girl who likes sport and she'll put you on it at the end of the service. Really, really easy way to get connected. Um, Sarah, who is a GP in the morning service, she's just got anyone who's involved in healthcare on a WhatsApp group, just WhatsApps them regularly and I think they get together and just pray and meet. I was just talking to Suga Hearn this morning, she's going to do a similar thing for teachers. So maybe just gather around each other. If you work in the city or something like that, why not just one of you start a WhatsApp group? Everybody can add in, then you can just go and have lunch and things like that. Um, great, WhatsApp, really, really easy way of getting involved. Okay, so those are a few ideas. Tim's going to talk a lot more next week about serving, about getting connected and getting involved. But what we really want to say before all else is that we believe this stuff. We don't want to add to your busy London diaries. We don't want to burn you out. We want to say that by getting deeply rooted in this church, by giving of yourself, even when sometimes it feels a little sacrificial, you will flourish and the world around you will do too. That's our, our final word. Amen.